Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. Welcome to episode 15, the Bunkhouse Stampede Finals 1988. (laughs) Quit pissing in the bunk. Is this Dips Pit or Whiskey? New York City? Get a rope. (laughs) Uh, Those are not the taglines of the show. I made those up. Because there is no tagline. There's no tagline for the show. Also, your title was very long. I was like, Bunkhouse Stampede, 87, question mark? No, it's, I guess it's 88. But the finals? That's like one of my first notes for the show. is like, the finals? So what is the Bunkhouse Stampede? We'll get into it. But intro the show, Matthew. So the Bunkhouse Stampede, now I found this is going to be one of those What's the story behind weird, the weird things. <laughs> I found that this was the fourth annual Stampede. Yeah. But later on in the show, they say... The third annual. They do. It's like, and it's so, even on those, it's even on, on screen graphics. So like, the internet's telling me one thing, and their graphics on the show are telling me another thing. Oh, so. I, last show I meant to bring up the the Wrestling Network, or whatever, I think it's TWN. TWN, yeah. Which was nothing that lasted a very small amount of time. It's kind of bizarre, there's not all information, that's probably where we're going to begin in that conversation. Continue. Uh, so, Stampede was produced by the Jim Crockett Productions for the NWA, and this was the only Bunkhouse Stampede to air on pay-per-view, as the previous three were. So, you're telling me, you, uh, is this also uh, held up uh, by gunpoint by Vince McMahon? If you, if you pay-per-viewed this, could you also, were you also denied WrestleMania 4 in the we'll future? We'll get to that here in one second. Okay. The event would take place on January 24th, 1988. That the... means I was one year and three days old. Ooh. At the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. Have we been there before? Not us personally, but as far as... I feel like the Nassau Coliseum is a place we may have been before. Maybe WrestleMania 2? Maybe that's... No, they, they ran they ran uh, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, the Nassau Coliseum sounded familiar. It does sound familiar. Yeah. But no, I don't think uh, so. Attendance down by two grand. Yes, the attendance for the show was 6,000. And if you watch the show, you're going to notice that the first part of the show, the crowd looks pretty bare. New York City? Because of a typo on the tickets. Oh, yeah? The tickets actually said 7,000. The show started at 7.30, when in fact it started at 6.30. That's fucked. Causing many fans to miss the first half of this show. Was there dark matches? There was. Okay, we'll get there. I'm just asking, because we'll it was there. like 6.30. What the fuck? So, and also, going back to, to WWE or WWF do something, they did. So, remember the date, January 24th. Because the pay-per-view wars continued between the NWA and the WWF at this time, as Vince McMahon would run the inaugural Royal Rumble the same night as a television special on cable TV. Because the cable companies got so mad about the 
Vince McMahon forcing them to carry one or the other. Oh, yeah. That he was like, okay, I won't force you to carry my Royal Rumble instead of their bunkhouse stampede. But. But, hey, USA Network, let's run this. Let's run this special. What's the special? The Royal Rumble. The first Royal Rumble? The inaugural Royal Rumble. Are we watching that? Even though it's not a pay-per-view? It wasn't in the original plans. I think we should if this is the news. But We're learning. This is a learning experience. It has been put in the pay-per-view section on the WWE Network. Even if it's not, we've watched watched bad tapes ripped to fucking... But we didn't watch any of the Saturday Night Main Event, so it was kind of... Now, I think think that we should do the Rock and Wrestling shows at some point. I can't find them anywhere. Well, if we do find them, we should watch them. But, I know, because I've thought about possibly doing the Clash of the Champions. I'm legitimately as well yeah, yeah. at some point. There's some stuff. I mean, we could call them bonus episodes, but I think we should just call them like throwbacks and just keep keep them going. Because it's one of those things like we talked about them. Although but it's so, going to get harder to do but that next week. Next week we will be covering the inaugural Royal Rumble. Okay. I have thrown it in. You threw it. Threw it I in. Threw it in. So the, after that, it's WrestleMania four. I believe so. Okay. So there was some extra history that I found. For this show, there were six matches originally scheduled for this show, and we're only going to get four. So what happened is originally there was supposed to be a rock. And originally, roll. It's, the ticket said seven thirty. Well, that as well. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they could have recorded it. No so matter who was there. they advertised a Rock and Roll Express versus Sheep Herders match. Who are the Sheep Herders? Uh, what are the names? I like this move. Matt's throwing his arms up and down like he's getting caught. Uh, the Bushwhackers. Oh, uh, okay. Sheep Herders is a terrible name. I mean, so is the Bushwhackers. Bushwhackers is a much better name. It's no Viking Express. Uh, experience. experience. Yeah, Viking Express sounds like a, like a supercharged coffee. But there was that match was advertised, and also a Sting Mike Rotondo match was advertised. Well, I could get down on that. And then including the four that we did see on the pay-per-view. But the day before the show, the Rock and Roll Express walked out of the NWA because of the way they were being booked. Kind of hell of a drug. (laughs) They decided to put the Sheep Herders versus a different team. But there wasn't any other tag teams available on the roster as the Midnight Express were both in singles matches. The Road Warriors were both Both in in singles singles matches. matches. So there wasn't any other tag teams. As Michael Hayes had also left the NWA. Fuck. Leaving Jimmy Garvin without a partner. Brutal times for the NWA shit. Off of the show that... Right after a show where I was like, I got fucking high fucking hopes. And you were like, whatever, dude. And now you're telling me all this shit? Business must have been bad for those boys. Yeah. So Crockett, Jim Crockett, decided to move Sting from his singles match to the tag team match versus the Sheep Herders with Jimmy Garvin. Is there a better company man than Sting? Probably not. Maybe Ric Flair. I I mean, yeah, maybe Ric Flair. And Sting obviously had history with Garvin as they just were in the six-man tag match that we saw last Mm -hmm. Starcade. But Crockett also decided that it would be too hard to explain... Why the Rock and Roll Express weren't facing the Sheep Herders as it had been advertised. So we made the tag match a dark match. And now we only had four matches on the show. So he was like, hey, you guys left, but just come back for this dark match and I'll pay you? No. 
So Wait. Sting and Jimmy Garvin uh, versus the Sheep Herders were the dark match. Okay. So, but then he had to go to all of the other people, the other four matches, and go, "Hey guys, you're you mind doing like a your, trap spot? <laughs> your twelve, your ten to twelve minute match. You need to stretch, stretch this those out. This makes a lot of sense. So, that being said, we got four matches, also, boys. What ha- what was oh, happening? Oh, okay. More. There's more. Well, now we're now I'm going to tell you what else was happening around January 24th. Oh, okay. We're at that spot. We're at that spot. Okay, I won't look at. I won't look at that. The Phantom of the Opera made its Broadway debut two days after this show aired. Really, I thought that the Phantom of the Opera was uh, much older. I guess as a one of the only like plays I've ever seen in my life was Phantom of the Opera, and I thought that shit was tight, and I was like seven. So then you saw it six years after it came out. <laughs> yeah, probably. I didn't realize. I thought it was a much older thing than that. Really? I, I thought so as well. One of the uh, best Halloween not. costumes I ever had was like probably that year. I got this really cool Phantom of the Opera mask you like put over, but like the white part would come off and it looked like fucking fucked up Scarface. It was cool. That's not awesome. Scarface like, you know, the De Palma movie, but. And the musician Skrillex. Oh, the guy from First to Last? Sure. The first to last is like this really garbage ass like like later pop punk band, pop punk emo band, more emo than pop punk. And then later after that band broke up, that's when he started the whole like EDM thing and he's shaved the side of his head and was Skrillex. I don't like either of those things, but I know that because from first to last is a thing that has been like an inside joke with my friends for a while. But he would be born a few weeks earlier. So you're telling me that like one kind of cool thing happened and one thing that like I could not care less about happened. Where's my max headroom, Matt? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> not a lot happened in January. It's Jan- not, nothing really happens in January, and that's not a dig on myself, but like you know, people don't put out movies and music and like you if know. You had been born in January. Does, my, I would have been like was and Michael during, Temple. Was I was three days before this, but a whole a year but, three days, but, but a like, year before. Yeah, but the like, yeah, Madonna doesn't drop a single in January. It's just not the time for it's that. Not the time. Everyone's everyone's holiday hangover. And this is pre-Black Friday. So we head to the show. We get a title card. NWA presents dot dot dot. dot. It's good. Bunkhouse Stampede Finals 1988. We is get, this dip spit or whiskey? <laughs> we get flashing lights and most likely dubbed music. It kind of looks like the last show. Lots of smoke, lots of blue, pink, purples. Yeah. Uh, Nikita Koloff comes out of the entrance and makes his way to the ring. And we get Bob Cottle and Jim Ross as our announcers. And they pre- preview the matches of the evening. It's still pretty dry. And uh, Jim Ross still looks like that big fat baby. But maybe the NWA agreed with you on Tony Schiavone. Because <laughs> he got demoted. And he's just the in-ring announcer on this show. Oh, poor Tony. So we head to our first match. We got beautiful Bobby Eaton with Jim Cornette in his corner versus Nikita Koloff for the NWA World Television Championship. Uh, Bobby Eaton's gear, best or worst gear? Worst. I love it. Because he's wearing like, he's got like a black and red, I think. Uh, like No, he had green No, and no, pink. but he, had, he has the, he has, he has like the uh, cape on or whatever. But he takes the cape off and then all of a sudden it's like, Pink and like, like kind of muted neon green. It's disgusting, and I love it. 
Because it's like, because Jim Cornette's still got his like gear from the last show on, and they just don't mesh at all. It's fucking gross. I like it because it's so bizarre. It looks like Sting gear from like the early '90s, except for Sting was like Surfer Boy, like, but you know, flat top, like pink makeup and like bright colored. It's bizarre. It's fucking super bizarre. I'm sorry. Continue. So the story behind this match was that Jim Cornette had predicted that the Midnight Express would be the next U.S. and world television champions, putting the Express into rivalries with Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff. So therefore, we have a Bobby Eaton versus Nikki Two Belts. Nikki Two Belts? Can you imagine a Dusty uh, Nikki Two Belts tag team? Where Dusty they were Rhodes... a tag team. I, where Dusty just bleeds and Nikita just like bear hugs and fucking rules. Pretty much. Is Nikita Koloff one of the least appreciated like past like giant stars like names? Because he never quite got to the top of the top he, of the pile. Man, those crowd, but those crowds are so. I think he was top of the pile. I just think the NWA should have been first. Ric Flair politics. Yeah, it's a bummer. That's why wrestling, Dusty Rhodes. But that's also why we politics. love. That's also why we love wrestling, though. It's true. So the match, Cornette and Eaton hug it out for good luck. Yeah, that was a cute moment. And Chance and booze. Oh, they hug. They, they booed their. They booed their hug. They booed the hug. And I hug all my friends. I do too. Eaton tries to outpower Koloff early on, and Akita yeah. no sells it. Yeah, the fuck right. A kick from Eaton sends Koloff to the floor, and the two men trade blows on the floor. Koloff escapes a headlock, and the two men run the ropes before Koloff turns it into a scoop slam. Eaton sends Koloff to the floor again, jumps down, and begins to punch away at Nikita. Eaton goes for a headlock, but Nikita throws Bobby into the ring post, who bounces off into one of the cameramen. It was cool. It looks It looks very, like, it looks... Uh, and then it looks like Bobby's actually mad that, like, the cameraman was standing there. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, I mean, yeah. He's, he's just trying to get the shot, man. But I just like the, the the it's the right kind of gritty. You know what I mean? It's like NWA's been like a little too gritty for a while. And I feel like this is like the right kind of marketable gritty. Nikita then slams Eaton's head into the ring post again and then a hip toss onto the concrete. Eaton irates Nikita to get the match back into the ring. And then as Eaton is... Has a Koloff in a headlock or an arm bar or whatever he had him in at this point. I was like watching and I'm like, does Eaton and Greg Valentine look like the same person? Uh, Greg Valentine has a tinier, uglier face, but they have very similar features. I was just like, who's the who's the better wrestler? They're both great. They both have a similar style. I'm gonna go Valentine just because he had to carry Beefcake. Hello. Good point. Eaton then with a drop kick from the top rope. We get a two count. Eaton then locks on the hammer lock, just keeping Nikita on the mat. And Cornette's belittling Koloff from the outside. I love in this whole show that so for some reason they do an amazing job of miking around the ring. Mm-hmm. So like Jim Cornette is talking like mad shit. You can hear all of it. You can hear like everything that they say in the ring. Yeah. It's fucking beautiful, and it really adds a lot to these overlong matches. Spoiler alert. We already talked about this, but oh my god. Yeah. Four matches, two hours. So the announcement for five minutes left, and my immediate thought was... Oh, really? We're already here? This is going to be a time limit draw, isn't it? Oh, but is it, though? We'll find out. (laughs) 
Nikita back to his feet with four minutes left and hits a Russian sickle, but can't make the cover. Also, when Nikita's in, walks on the ground, he does some very close tapping. Very close to tapping type of uh, gestures. They're not going to call it. I know it's a thing. It's just, I just really have a thing where it's like if somebody's in that, you gotta be careful with how you. I know you need to react to sell the move. We want to believe you. We want it to look good. We want the tension. You need to make the hole look good. But some people, even recently, amazing wrestlers, they do stuff, and I'm like, well, that's like technically what I would have called a tap. And I'm not a ref. It's whatever. But still, Eaton then comes back with an arm breaker and back to the hammerlock. We got three minutes remaining, and in my head, I'm yelling, Hey, Bobby, you have to pin or submit Nikita to win the belt. Oh, is that what he has to do? Yeah. He can't just throw him over the top rope? I thought this was an NBA. He can't <laughs> just get a time limit draw. Yeah. And keep him in a hammerlock. Yeah. So two minutes. Koloff, I mean, he's, he's so much bigger, you got to wear him down. Koloff is back up, but eaten with another arm breaker, and back to the hammerlock. And then brawling begins between the two men at the 30-second mark. Nikita hits a Russian sickle with three seconds left and oh, goes for the pin, four. <laughs> but the bell rings, <laughs> and it is indeed a time limit draw. Post-match, Cornette gets into the ring to hit Koloff, but Nikita sees him immediately, and Jim stumbles and falls backwards at the gaze from Koloff. Koloff has the racket and goes to hit Cornette, but senses Eaton behind him and hits Bobby instead. Nikita then returns his attention towards Cornette, but this time, Eaton is able to kick Koloff and steals the racket away. Stan Lane has shown up and is now on the apron and is holding Koloff while Eaton continues hitting him with the racket. And finally, the Midnight Express kick Koloff out of the ring and everyone goes on their merry way. Uh, Bobby Eaton's dropkick was pretty sick, even though it was only a two count. I, I gotta get this off my chest now. <laughs> okay, bring it to me, brother. With a match like this... Mm-hmm. I get the time limit draw being an effective way of saying, oh, he almost beat him, but in this match, the champion is the one that almost got the pin as time was running out. Yeah, it's reversed. Like, the guy that's working from under should be the one that almost gets the guy. So the it builds him up. The psychology on that was is completely reversed. backwards. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and ba- it made no yeah. sense. It does no favors for either guy. It's no good for Nikita because everyone's like, oh, well, Nikita's badass. Because, like, literally with two minutes left, they're bro- or Eaton hits another arm breaker, puts the hammer lock on, and I'm like... He's been working that arm the whole goddamn night. He's working that sickle. Literally, all you have to do is sit there for two minutes, and, yeah. and you win. Yeah. I'm like, who cares? Yeah. Like, why do you need to get up and, and no. pin him? It it's backwards. It doesn't all make the, any sense. Yeah, everything. I mean, the finish is silly. The match was decent. That drop kick was great. JR, at one point, calls the ref... A little official, which I think is of like two words that should be used in rap music more often because little official sounds nice. Maybe it was the way he said it with his draw, but I was like, ah, oh, it's good. So then get Bob and JR reviewing the match while a ref walks in front of the camera and then the express walk right behind them and then they preview the next match. Which is? Second match, Larry Zabisco with Baby Doll in his corner versus Barry Windham for the NWA Western States Heritage Championship. Can you say that again? NWA Western States Heritage Championship. It should be the Large Pie Championship because uh, Zabisco owns a pizza shop somewhere. I fucking know it. 
So before the match, Zabisco's trash talking. And well, Wyndham, they say that Larry hasn't had like a title in like fifteen yeah, J- years. He's been J- wrestling fifteen years and hasn't had a title. JR said he's been yeah, he's like glorious oh, fourteen year yeah. career. It's like in his fifteenth year, he's won a title. It's like ugh. it seems very like trivial and whatever, but they sell it pretty hard. But JR is selling pretty hard through his like little buck teeth. It's fine. Well, you can tell, like, literally every time they go to Jim Ross and Bob Cottle, you can see that they get something in their earpiece, yeah. and then they have to, you think so? like, cover for something. I think they're getting Vince. My whole I, thing is, like, I'm, like, I... Here you go. I'm just, I'm going to yeah, spoil it right up, now. Lay it up. You said the production and everything was getting better uh, at the last Starcade. Yeah, for a reason. Production on this show was trash. It looks better. They have better cameras. But no, Maybe better cameras. Better but, cameras? Better finishes? But, and, and not all of it is because of the production. Some of it is because yeah. they were supposed to have six matches. Yeah. They only had four. They yeah. had to stretch things. Yeah. I get it. But you're a professional wrestling company. And I can guarantee that this show is the reason why by 1989... Yeah. The NWA is no longer a thing. I can I can see that. I can't guarantee anything except for like my love and friendship as long as you're not like a total asshole. But like, you know, this show is a downgrade from the last show and you didn't like the last show and I'm still mad at you about that. But it's okay because I love you. So we got Zabisco trash talking. Wyndham starts moving towards him when Baby Doll steps up in the way. She got a burrito this time? And No. <laughs> well, that was precious. precious. Sorry, that was precious. But the thing is, is, like we've seen this move before when Bacho Man puts, put Miss Elizabeth in between after he started trash. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a heel move by Zabisco. Baby Doll stepped up completely on her own. On her own. Yeah, yeah. And then, Which is kind of badass. And then Baby Doll just still is just getting in Wyndham's face. Poking his finger into her chest, into his chest. Yeah, and he's like, he doesn't even do it. He doesn't. He he's he holds himself back pretty well. And then Jr. says, Barry should stick a finger in Baby Doll's chest and see how she, she likes, likes it. it. Yeah. And in my head, I went, No. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He didn't mean it like that. He's Jr. He do, he looks like he's never or will ever have sex with anyone. So the match starts. Wyndham reverses a hip toss into one of his own, and Zabisco rolls out of the ring to slow it down. Wyndham is running in the ropes, and Zabisco goes to drop kick Wyndham, but Barry held onto the ropes, and Zabisco crashes to the mat. And Jim Ross actually says that a drop kick's not usually in Zabisco's repertoire. Yeah. So it was maybe it was one of those things that like, oh hey, we got to fill five yeah. more minutes. Zabisco gives me kind of like a. Fuck you, I'm Randy Orton vibe. Except for he's like, you know, obviously not so nearly Randy as... Randy Orton's good? Except for, except for not nearly as impressive or whatever, but he sells his character really well, and his character is like your boss that you hate. I can see that. But your boss that you hate that, that. Will, that could probably kick your ass, and that's like his whole vibe. And I think he does it well, I'd be scared and I think he owns Zabisco. a pizza place. If Larry Zabisco was standing here next to us, I'd be scared of him. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to punch anybody. I would be very bad at it. So we see an atomic drop by Wyndham, and again Zabisco rolls to the outside. Zabisco drops Wyndham with a drop toe hold and begins to work over Barry's leg, which we're told had been hurt by the horseman earlier in the month. He's got like a bandage on it. it it's well, not super noticeable at start, but like yeah, it was like it's planned out. Wyndham then hits an insiguri 
to escape the hold, followed by a power I like how it's slam. like Insiguri, but they don't call it that. It's a, yeah. Because Insiguri wasn't a thing. Yeah, I, I know, I know. I just, I just like whenever they do that, I like when they go, what a maneuver. And I'm like, I know the name of that. <laughs> I just feel like kind of important for a second, but only in my room by myself. Wyndham then with a scoop slam and then goes for a diving elbow drop, which when you saw this move, did you think it was an elbow drop or did you think it was a senton? Second one. <laughs> exactly. This is the second this is the second show in a row where I wrote senton in quotation marks with a question mark outside of it. Or it's like I so there was like there was a, a match in the last show where I was like I think there was like a bizarre senton, and you're like, was there? And I was like, I think so. I have a note for it. I highlighted it because I think that happened. I wrote senton, and then in doing research, saw that Barry Windham actually does this diving elbow drop yeah. that he always misses, and he does it weird. And so I was like, oh, maybe that's what well, it now that was. Now marijuana is basically legal in Oklahoma City, uh, I don't smoke weed, but I'm trying to create the peace that every wrestling fan needs the senton bong. Yes. <laughs> Zabisco back to working on Wyndham's leg, and then Wyndham hits a drop kick and attempts a backdrop suplex, but his knee gives way, and Zabisco lands on top for a two count. Wyndham then hits a gut wrench suplex for a two count. Wyndham locking on the sleeper, but Zabisco is able to grab the ropes to escape the hold. Zabisco rolls to the floor, but this time Wyndham follows with an axe handle off the apron. And Zabisco's head's then slammed into a table and the apron before being rolled back into the ring. Two shows in a row with like technical table spots, too. I feel like the NWA is working on some shit that I want to see. But they're never going to get there. Fuck, yes, you're right, and I fucking hate it. Wyndham then looks to slam Zabisco's head into the ring post, but Larry is able to toss Barry into the steel post. When, and then Wyndham trips up Zabisco and pulls his legs around the ring post and crotches him. I know. And he like really holds his junk really hard, where it's kind of uncomfortable before the spot where he's like actually legitimately scared that he's going to get his fucking nut busted. Best part of this spot yeah. was legitimately right after the crotch shot. It goes to a shot of the crowd, and it's this lady in a Michigan sweatshirt. Oh, yeah, with and her boyfriend, and he's got a Michigan sweatshirt on. She's too. laughing hysterically. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like her and her boyfriend, they both have, he's got like a dark blue Michigan with like yellow Michigan, and hers is like a Heather Gray, and it's like Michigan and blue. And she is losing her shit, and her boyfriend's like, yeah, this is great, and she is so into it. A lot of, there's only a couple of crowd shots in this show. Mm-hmm. There's more than the last show. There's only a couple, but they're great. There's like a lady with amazing like poodle dog hair. It's like it's like big old puppy bangs, and then it's like it's kind of like a Tony Iommi Black Sabbath early Black Sabbath hair, except for on a like attractive lady. But it's hard to tell if she's attractive because her hair looks fucking dumb. But because I'm looking at it from the lens of me being born in '87. And not being a fucking 20 and 87. Wyndham then Irish whips Zabisco and goes for a lariat. But Larry collapses and Barry flies to the ropes to the outside. Are they calling him lariats in the show? I actually thought it was a flying crossbody, but it was one of those, again, where... Like, yeah, doing that it's research, like what they call they the call Russian single, clothesline. But, like, is there... I don't... Like, is they call him a lariat very often in this time. It's a conversation. It's kind of one of those things. It's not like suplex and suple because it's like, well, everybody gave up on suple, but Lariat, like, nobody says clothesline in New Japan. Zabisco then slams Wyndham face first into a table on the outside. 
Cable spots, man. These cable spots. Wyndham's back up on the apron with Zabisco in the ring when Barry goes for the sunset flip, but Zabisco's right hand smashes Wyndham in the face so he can't complete it. Zabisco goes for a swinging neckbreaker, but Wyndham reverses it into a backslide pin attempt for a two count. I love me a backslide. It's great. Zabisco then goes for a pile driver, but Wyndham reverses it into a back body drop. The two men end up running the ropes, and they run into each other for the double KO spot. Zabisco then Irish whips Wyndham into the corner and then charges in with a knee, but Barry moves, so the knee hits the turnbuckle. Wyndham then gives some punches in the corner and goes to slingshot Zabisco back into the corner, but the ref is standing there, and we got ourselves... Ref bump! Wyndham then small packages Zabisco, and Baby makes the count herself on the outside and it rules and it makes no sense and will continue so Wyndham gets the three count and is celebrating Wyndham gets the three count from baby doll like he doesn't know that baby doll's voice is different than the refs excuse me hitting them hitting the mat it's more did he not realize that the ref got bumped I'm saying that like the ref calls out the count do they do they do they say one, two, three? Or do we just do that in our heads? I mean, I think... That's a good point. Because I was just like, how did he not know it was baby at all? And now you're fucking making me question myself. So Wyndham's up celebrating when he sees the ref still on the mat down. And he's like, so who counted for me? Then Zabisco hits Wyndham from behind with one of Baby Doll's spiked shoes. Oh, yeah. For so the good. pin. Yeah. And, and the, the win. win. And new! I really love when he gives her the shoe back and they show her put it back on. That's tight. Yes. And I'm not into feet or anything, but I am just think that it's a very fun spot and it proves that the camera work is getting better. The shows are getting better telegraphed. I thought that that was one of the dustier finishes that we've had because I feel that it kind of made him look like a dummy, but in my head, like... The ref counts, but I guess the ref doesn't count. He just hits. Still, it was weird. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it either. No, I don't hate it. I definitely don't hate it. Moving on to our third match of the night. We got Road Warrior Hawk versus Paul Ellering versus Ric Flair with J.J. Dillon for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. So the story behind this match was that the Road Warriors had continued to feud with the Horsemen after war games. And about a month before this show, the Warriors had defeated Flair and Arn Anderson by DQ during a match, which set the stage for this matchup. Now, I have a question. In this day and age, if we're going to use our uh, WWE champions right now, if Kurt Hawkins and... Kurt, yeah, Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder? Kurt Is that Hawkins what you're and Zack Ryder. Okay. Had a match with Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. Okay, Who, who's gonna win that match? And Hawkins and Ryder won by DQ, and that set up a match to see Zack Ryder versus Seth Rollins for the championship. Would you go? Oh, Zack Ryder totally has a chance at winning this belt. No, because it's on fast lane. <laughs> That's basically what this is. That's so funny. That's basically what this match is. But this match is probably better. It is. Don't get me wrong. 
I love Road Warrior Hawk. I know you're. I know you're a big Road Warrior boy, and I am growing my. I mean, war, Road we can Warrior. do it the other way, where doesn't matter. Daniel Bryan and Rowan versus yeah. Kofi Kingston and Xavier, yeah. and then it's Rowan versus Kofi. Yeah, I'm like, that's a little bit. That that's, that's probably that's probably almost more interesting, believable than this. That's more interesting because if somebody's working from underneath, the baby is working from heavy underneath, and it's somebody that nobody cares about. Rowan could die tomorrow. And like, the only people that go, the only people that would care are like a handful Luke of people. On, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not. I think that he's a very uh, talented man, but that man has never been over. I think the Bludgeon Brothers is probably one of the most annoying and stupidest things in a long time. So stupid. And I think that Luke Harper Hot is take, a. I didn't. Well, I hate it. I did not like the Wyatt family thing. Yeah, I'm not super. But familiar. I'm also going to say that. I was not watching wrestling at the time. Yeah. At the time that they were at their peak. No, no, me neither. I'm I'm pretty new back into the product, but I've gone hard, and this is one of the reasons we do this exactly. to add context to what we're currently watching. Exactly. This match was actually joined in progress because there were some technical difficulties. Most likely, whoever had the tape recorded some, you know, good eats or something like that. <laughs> Somebody, oh, I fucking love good eats. So Hawk is using his power moves to dominate early on, while nothing Flair does seems to phase Road Warrior. How could it? Hawk is stalking Flair on the outside of the ring, but when they finally get back inside, Flair hits the low blow. And JR says, Flair calls himself the dirtiest player in the game. So he's the Larry Bird of professional wrestling? But we finally get the dirtiest player in the game. That's the, that's the big yeah, thing for Flair yeah. for a long time. It is. And JR said it. Also, there's a. I think it is pretty early on where it looks like there's going to be a zip job, a real a real juicer, and mm-hmm. it doesn't happen early. Doesn't happen early. It's a real good tease. I, I appreciate it. Flair goes with the eye rake and then a running knee drop to finally get some offense in, and Flair tosses Hawk into the guardrail multiple times while they're on the outside. Flair hits a double axe handle from the top rope and another knee drop for a two count. After an Irish whip. Hawk hits a shoulder neckbreaker and then attempts a jumping fish drop, but Flair moves. Hawk looks to have hurt his knee in the process of the last move, and Flair starts attacking it. Flair gets another low blow, and then you see Ellering and Dylan having words yeah, on the outside. Yeah, ref distraction. Yeah, they're talking shit. Ref looks over. Flair hits a back suplex and then slams Hawk's leg around the ring post, locking in the figure floor, including grabbing the ropes for leverage. Hawk turns it over, so, and Flair escapes by grabbing the ropes. And you, great camera shot here, where it's right on Flair, and he's like, "Oh God, Jesus, Jesus Christ!" Christ oh yeah, he's, no, he says Jesus Christ, and it's fucking great. This show is mic'd really well, but uh, yeah, I have that note, and it's like he immediately, yeah, he immediately tries to go to the ropes, and he says Jesus Christ, but he's fucking selling it. Flair then goes to the top rope, but Hawk press slams him to the mat. Uh, and then we get an Irish whip from Flair to Hawk, sending him to the corner. But Road Warrior bounces back with a clothesline that takes Rick and the ref down. Ref bump? Hawk clotheslines Flair over the top rope, but then Rick trips him up and pulls him out to the outside as well. Hawk slams Flair's head into multiple steel posts to bust him open. Oh, so this is where we get the zip job. Yep. It looked like an early zip job. It was an early zip job. 
We get a power slam, a clothesline, and then a superplex off the top rope by Hawk. And Hawk goes for the pin, but the ref is still out. Uh, well, he does like a pin. It's like a 10 count. He's just covering the shit out of him. J.J. Dillon then comes into the ring with a motherfucking and hits chair. Hawk with a chair. So good. And it's one of the softest chair bumps ever. It's because he didn't, he wanted, because like maybe Hawk had the line on the blow in the backstage. And, and uh, <laughs> so he's like, oh, we gotta go to the next town. We gotta drive like 15 hours. You're making lots of excuses for I, this. I am, but it's J.J. Hawk then goes after Dillon and has him in the corner when Flair grabs the chair and hits the Road Warrior in the head. Flair gets the pin attempt, and Paul Ellering, by this time, has helped the ref get back into the ring. But Hawk kicks out at two. Of course he does. Flair with a vertical suplex, but no, Hawk no-sells it. No, it's the, it's a beautiful, long suplex. Those big, long standing boys where he's mm-hmm. up there for like five seconds. But it's fucking Hawk on fucking Ric Flair's shoulders. Yeah. And it looks amazing. And then he no-sells it for the two-count. He does a two-count and no-sells it. So it's not just a regular suplex. He does not half-ass shit. Like, he holds him up. It looks good. Hawk then gets the ten punches in the corner, and the crowd is chanting along loudly. Fuck yeah, they are. It's great. And we get the flare flop. We then get a jumping fist drop by Hawk. Done by the flare flop where he does the timber timber drop? Yeah, like after yeah, the yeah, ca- like, he just like walks out and then stumbles and yeah. drops. Flair then escapes the corner with a knee, grabs the chair, and hits Hawk in the back right in front of the ref. Hawk no-sells the shot, but the, the bell, bell rings, rings, and Road Warrior Hawk is the winner via DQ. So Flair retains the title. Post-match, Hawk tosses Flair into the corner so hard that Flair can't complete his over-the-top rope spot that he usually does, and Rick just rolls out to the floor. So we head out to JR and Bob Cottle, who review the last match, and then the show goes to credits. Yeah, we get those those like pre-final bout credits, which is pretty normal at this point. But Bob Cottle like reads each and every one. He does. It's very funny. He's like, and and it's sometimes like a guy's name shows up three times. And he's like production assistant. It's like, yeah. and it's obvious because we because they have a shot of the ring, and yeah. you can see them setting up the cage. So. You can tell this to stall, to make time for them to be able to set the cage up. We then get graphics that come up saying this is the third mm-hmm. annual Bunkhouse Stampede. And like I said at the beginning of the show, everything I found was this was actually the fourth and final yeah. Bunkhouse Stampede. JR then gives the rules of the match. To be eliminated, you have to be thrown over the top of the cage. Or through the cage or door. Or through the cage door. And still needing to waste time, as they haven't had the cage set up, they go to a replay of the Wyndham Zabisco match. And then we get our fourth match. So this match, we got Dusty Rhodes, Tully Blanchard, and Arn Anderson with J.J. Dillon. Ivan Koloff, the Warlord, the Barbarian with Paul Jones. Lex Luger and Road Warrior Animal with Paul Ellering in a steel cage bunkhouse stampede. So the story behind this match is that in the events leading up to the finals, which is what this is, there were qualifying bunkhouse stampede matches. And each of these men had won one to end up in this match. Who else were in these matches? Some of these people were, some other various 
NWA characters, whatnot. It was like yeah. literally house shows throughout. I know it's December. just very bizarre. It's like, well, we have these guys, and it's like, well, if they lost, did they get another shot? I don't know. At the end of Starcade, you might remember that Luger had lost his belt to Dusty due to JJ uh, Dillon throwing a chair into the ring and then being DDT. Well, Luger had left the Horseman shortly after that. Oh, so he's facing it. Yes, when in one of the qualifying matches, Lex, Arn, Tully, and J.J. Dillon were the final four in the match. And Dillon asked everyone to eliminate themselves so he could win. Arn and Tully were like, all right, cool. Yeah, no problem. But Luger refused and won the match by eliminating Dillon and his ties to the Horsemen. Ah, so he's pulling a... Uh, so that is the I guess reason, you didn't catch that earlier. He's doing Robbie Eagles in the Bullet Club right now. So that's why in this match you see Luger going up against the Horsemen a lot. As they come out, you see Arn Anderson. He's in a crop top. Oh, his crop top is tight because that shirt is a... The graphic on that shirt. I was shirt. like, I want that t-shirt. I want that shirt, yeah. It's probably like $250 from some asshole on Instagram right now. But, you know, asshole, if you're listening, I'll give you like 30 bucks for it. Is more than you paid for, less than you paid for it for sure. Jim Ross is saying he doesn't know if he's gonna be able to call all the action. Good on him. So, literally, I don't know if we'll be able to follow it either. I took extensive notes, but then but I, I took, can barely read, but them. then I took extensive notes as well. I, I, I like, trust you, Matt. Warlord and Barbarian, they kind of look like wannabe world warriors. I mean, they have the like tights that are there, and but they're on opposite teams it's very kind of bizarre to follow the like face heel stuff with those guys that are not as familiar yes so yeah it's like yeah it's like is one of them i think one of them is like an honorary road warrior and one of them's not even though they all have the road warrior fucking haircut ish no they're they end up being like the heel road warriors basically yeah. barbarian and warlord as a tag team they're like the powers yeah. of pain or something like that that's oh, a bad name yeah i like it Basically, this match, these men just kind of do lots of things to each other. We get I think it's really well shot. I'll say that this is really well shot considering they focus on a lot of stuff. It never gets particularly boring. There's stuff that gets missed. But for the amount of people that are in this ring, I think this is really well shot and really well telegraphed. And I am a fan of this show and you're not. And it's fine. Continue. So we see... The cheese grater is being done to Ivan Koloff by Dusty. Animal has Tully on the top rope. Dusty gets Ivan near the cage door. The horsemen yeah. are double-teaming Luger. Rhodes and Ivan are on the top rope. Barbarian joins them up there. thing is, I think this is more interesting than you're selling it, but it's a really hard thing to talk about. It, it is a very hard thing to talk about because it's like... And when it comes down to it, it's not particularly important, but I think it's compelling let's, enough. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Okay. To eliminate someone over the top of the cage... Is very difficult and silly. Does the person that you are going to eliminate basically not have to climb up to the top rope themselves? Of course they do. So why in the world would you ever climb up to the top rope? Because uh, WCW... Exactly. <laughs> I like how my explanation of this match is something that doesn't exist yet, which is really fucking fucked up. And now you know what my issue with this match is. Yeah. Was. It ain't no hell in a cell. So Barbarian's trying to lift Dusty over the top of the cage, but can't quite get him. It Ivan's... looks pretty good, though. Like, all the spots where somebody 
Looks like they're going to get pushed off of the top of the cage. Mm-hmm. They sell it pretty well, and it looks pretty compelling. It'd be more compelling if there wasn't eight people in the ring. Ivan is busted open at this point. Animal is stalking Tully on the top rope and rubbing his head on the cage. Rhodes is trying to push Arn out the door, but Koloff starts choking Dusty from behind with tape. We see Luger giving ten punches in the corner to Barbarian. Dusty throws Tully into the cage, and now Arn's busted open as well. Tully's probably busted open at this point. Luger goes to press slam Ivan, but Tully kicks him, so he doesn't isn't able to. My notes are so extensive and so not worth reading. Continue. <laughs> Barbarian and Warlord are double-teaming Animal. Rhodes starts pounding on everybody with Tully's weight belt. Oh yeah, yeah. He gets he gets the yeah he gets Tully's weight weight because like for, for some reason Tully comes in with a weight belt. And they're like ah, that's okay. You think that's why Cody's been rocking one? <laughs> well, I, literally, I meant like Koloff usually has a chain with him. Yeah, he didn't bring it in. I mean, Road Warriors usually have spikes. I'm like, uh-huh. why did we not bring Road Warriors were not wearing their football gear at all? Why the did last we not shows? bring in weapons in this no DQ? Yeah, he could Tully did cage match, but he got it ripped off of him. Yeah. And then the way it gets used later is very funny. At this point, we literally have people kind of standing around going, who's a face, who's a heel? Because literally, yeah. no heel ever hits a heel, and no face ever hits a face. There's a spot where like, I think all the faces like kind of clear the fucking ring, but yeah. it's kind of hard to tell because there's some guys where it's like, I don't even know who the fuck this is. Because, you know... Yeah, it was hard to tell kind of between... Warlord, Barbarian, and, and, and Animal, animal because, they, because they look a lot, a lot. They look a lot like they're wearing the same gear. They're still wearing stuff that has like the thing on the Basically side. Basically wearing jeans and like a t-shirt. Well, it's not jeans. They're wearing like... A lot of them are wearing well, jeans and uh, t-shirts. I think it's... Is it Barbarian or Warlord that has the lifeguard shirt on? And I'm like, well, he must be a, a face, I think it was right? the Barbarian. So he must be a face, right? Because his shirt says lifeguard on it. <laughs> it's probably the only t-shirt he had in the back. Yeah. Uh, Ivan scraping Dusty's arm with the belt buckle. That's the spot that's hilarious. And he begins bleeding from the arm. And it's very bizarre because it's like, I guess Dusty was like, ugh, well, I guess. I don't want to bleed from I, the I created, forehead today. I created this match, so I'm going to win this match, and I just really don't want to bleed from my head today. So he's like, oh, just, I'll bleed from my arm, just cut my arm open. And he's like, it's really weird because it looks like he's scraping his arm with the backside of a leather belt. And it's like, well, that's not going to cut anybody open. But it's the, the scraper from the belt buckle. Yeah, but that's like, I could scrape my belt buckle on your arm and it would be really gross if you bled from it. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. So it's like, so um, obviously it's not actually. I know, but it's just, that's why I'm saying it's weird. I'm saying like a cage shot makes sense. And then you go down and you cut yourself. And it's like, oh, he's busted open. But, like, cutting somebody's arm is a whole different story. Ivan then wraps the belt around Dusty's arm and the ropes so that Dusty is tied to the ropes. I think this stuff's fun. This happens a lot in this match with a lot of people. This, uh, has a lot of, this match with a lot of people that has a lot of people in it. <laughs> Animal has Arn hanging on the top of the cage. Tully's strangling Ivan with the belt, trying to drag him out of the door. Animal gets Ivan over the top of the cage, and Koloff falls to the floor to be eliminated. Animal then press slams Tully onto Arn to knock both men down. Animal is kicking Warlord to knock him out of the cage door when Barbarian comes and gives Animal a big boot to the head, sending both him and Warlord out of the cage door. And they're both eliminated. Wait, was that the Arn spot? No. Okay, sorry. Like animal, like Warlord's standing at the, at the cage door, yeah. and Animal's like trying to push him out, and when Barbarian comes and does the big boot, I watched this like last up. night, and I'm like, 
And then Matt comes in and is like, you didn't like it as much as you thought you did. And I was like, I was having a good time. A power slam by Luger on Tully, and then Tully's put up in the torture rack. Torture rack rules. It does. Just saying. It's one of my favorite finishes. Lex Luger's kind of whatever, but torture rack forever. Barbarian keeps biting Dusty's bloody arm. Yeah, it's disgusting. The horsemen start double-teaming Lex, and they carry him to the door. But Lex is able to kick them off and begins brawling with both men. All three men, still at the door, still brawling. And Arn is on the steps. Like, he's outside of no, the ring. No, he's outside. He's got both feet on, on steps. the steps. Yeah, it's great. And he's dragging Lex yeah. out. As if, as if he's going to pull him and then dive back in or something. <laughs> but there's nothing behind his feet because he's it's the stairs he's, they go he's down. Like, I'm sacrificing myself. Yeah, he's, for the, for the, he's, he's the most, he's the, the Jesus of the horsemen. And Tully is trying to push at the same time when all three men end up falling out onto the floor to be eliminated. And then it's, uh... So we got Barbarian and Dusty Rhodes left in the ring. Before that, is, isn't is there not an F.O. spot? It's right here. It's right here? Okay. Paul Jones hands an F.O. to the Barbarian from the outside, and he hits Rhodes with it. FYI, an F.O. is a foreign object, which means uh, a wapan, which is uh, Japanese for weapon. Multiple diving headbutts from the Barbarian. And the Barbarian drags Dusty to the door. Those diving headbutts are kind of gross. I thought they looked pretty good. No, no, no. I mean, they look good, but it's just like, ugh. Not your head, man. We know what CTE is now. (laughs) Uh, But Rhodes begins to fight back. Both men then climb to the top rope. You sound like you're being condescending. And Barbarian tries lifting Dusty over. Yeah, right. Dusty's fat as fuck. But Rhodes reverses it and has Barbarian on the top of the cage. You better sell this. And hits him with two bionic elbows. But one very large one that lasts this long. Hold on. It's good. And Dusty is the winner. I think I may have the bruised the back. Three-time winner. Or four-time winner, depending on your history. The, the what happened what really happens is he gets a very large ceramic boot and kind of a normal sized check. For $500,000. Which they sold throughout this whole match we did not sell because we know that they did not have $500,000. And the crowd response is very mixed. You think it's mixed? a few chants of refund. Oh, that's... Refund. I was trying to figure out what they were saying. That's what they were saying? That's a bummer. Bob uh, and JR review the night of matches. They do not say, say refund. <laughs> they are company men. Say their goodbyes. And then we get a video package of highlights from the night. So, Michael Temple, uh huh, your overall thoughts of this show? Very skippable, not terrible, worth it for the large boot, worth it for the elbow that I just made a sound effect for. I like that elbow. It's very fun. It's very dusty. Dusty is one of those guys, the more you watch, the less you love, but the more you learn, the more you appreciate, which is a very bizarre combination of things. Yes, do you feel, do you kind of feel the same way though? I can see what you're saying. Yes, it's like he's super important, but not necessarily always a positive. But in a world of like people that create and produce wrestling have never done any favors for themselves. They're always fucking shooting each other and themselves in the feet, and sometimes in the fucking mouth. Dusty Rhodes cared a whole bunch doesn't mean he was always right and i think that the further we get through this shit 
the more we realize that, and there's a reason why he loses these booking positions and is kind of going to end up being jobbed out, which is a bummer because he has a mind for wrestling, but not necessarily the mind for wrestling. I can see that. But nobody has the mind. It's I feel like that it's a... It's a culture you need to create. And when everybody's fighting each other all the time, then it's just like somebody's bad idea followed by another guy's bad idea followed by another guy's bad idea. And those quote-unquote bad ideas have have positives inside of them, but they're not workshopping them. And I think that's kind of how it was back in the day where everybody was just like, I know better than you. And yeah, nobody knows better than anybody else. But everybody can reach a middle point and tell a good story are you ready for my overall thoughts of the show oh you're gonna hate it because you didn't even like the last one and i loved the last show are you ready yeah no what What a a steaming pile of shit the show was there was some there was some good in ring stuff do not watch this show if you haven't email us thanking us for taking the brunt of this abuse for watching this show you're calling it abuse this show was a steaming pile Oh shit. It's watch I like Starcade eighty seven a lot. I said if if someone You wanted, did not like it. I didn't like it, but I said if someone was like, Hey, should I watch Starcade eighty seven? I was like, Yeah, you should watch it. I mean uh, it's it's a good it's a decent show. What show would what Starcade show would you put over that? I, I liked eighty six better. Because the highs are the highs are better. The highs the highs are higher, but as far like I feel like this show's easier for somebody that's not a wrestling fan, if someone was like, hey, what's the Ric Flair show to watch? I wouldn't send them to Harley Race and Ric Flair. No, I wouldn't send them to that match. No, either. but I might send them to the Garvin-Ric Flair match because I think that they could understand it and it looked good in the ring and I liked it. But we can't. if we agreed on everything, it wouldn't be fun for either of us. So sure. it's fine. But I'm still mad at you. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. So I think it's time for us to spark it up. What do you think some of the best moments of the night were? The end? It was not a good show. I know it wasn't a good show. I think that my favorite... Like, Dusty's big elbow off the cage, I love. I really love that. I mean, I like Hockno selling this chair shot. Yeah, there's some. there's a lot of fun moments in that last match. But when it comes down to it, like, watching it is different than talking about it. You know what I mean? Because watching it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was pretty fun. But then when you start to talk about it and you realize that, like, oh, man, like, what the fuck was that? Like, what does any of none of that really mattered in hindsight? But I think they drew you in well enough to really no avail. I, I literally don't have any. Like, like, yeah. I can't think of any best I mean, moments. it's not the worst show we watched. You think it is? I mean... WrestleMania 2 was pretty bad, but there was some at least some entertainment well, But it's an, it's an event. This is kind of like a... That's what this is supposed to be, and it's yeah. not. This is like... I think this is my least favorite show we've watched. Okay. I, I had fun with this. I feel like sometimes, like, we watched a, for a while, it was a lot of early Starcade, and it was like one of those things where, like, I hadn't had a taste or a flavor for it. We didn't know what was going on, but yeah, and but it was maybe fun to look why at. we didn't yeah. like it. But it wasn't but, ever horrible. But I think that that's why I like '87 so much because it's like okay, I get how like that it's like the it's the gritty more like 
you know, realism in, in quote realistic, like uh, more violent. You know, it's it's the grimier like adult wrestling, and it took me a while to realize it because it was so terribly telegraphed. But I feel like that '87 Stark '87 was a good middle point. I feel like Bunkhouse Stampede was just like kind of like a bizarre afterthought. And that's really it. Um, I think one of my favorite things was Dusty with a giant boot, and then he had a check in his hand, but he had a giant boot. It was like fucking like a fu- the a boot four. was like the entire size of his body. Yeah, it was like a four foot. It was a four foot boot, but then he had a check in his hand, and I was like, why didn't you put just a bunch of fake ass money in that boot? Because that would have looked amazing. That's true. Because it's like a five hundred thousand dollar check. Put a bunch of fake bucks in that boot, and it would have been a way better ending. Most disappointing moments in this show: uh, bunkhouse stampede. Yeah, uh, you're you're right. I'm like I'm glad that I watched it. Koloff eaten, where the face tries for the pin in the last sec. Like it's it still makes no sense. Yeah, but it's Koloff. Makes I mean, no sense. I don't know. I'm more Eaton forgiving than you are. Putting Koloff in a hammer lock for seven minutes. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of holding. Like don't. Don't not watch this show, but also don't watch this don't, show. Don't watch this show. I'm begging you, Matt. You hate it this much. Do not watch this show. I mean, I guess if there's no if there's no good color. But fucking Cindy Lauper doesn't show up. No Ted Nugent, or I mean, I mean, uh, not Ted Nugent. Alice Cooper. Uh, no Alice Cooper, which like but Alice Ozzie Cooper. Osborne. Alice Cooper is like Ted Nugent, but minus like you know being a total piece of shit. But yeah, it's not. A spectacle, but it is for a wrestling fan at a moment. I don't know. I don't know how to defend this, and I don't know. You that, should, but I like the last show a lot, and I think you, that you can you can like Starcade. I'm talking about Bunkhouse Stampede. I'm, t- but I'm saying that I a piling <laughs> Cleveland steamer. I think that these that the la- the, the last Starcade. And I wish they would have lost the video for this show. Oh, fuck off. That's wrong of you. The uh, I think that they are shooting a show better, and they're learning how to produce a show for people to watch wrestling, which is like becoming a thing that people watch. And unfortunately, it's too late for them at this point, but I think that Starcade 87 is a very good... They're not going to do the spectacle that WWF is doing, but I think that they are like starting to ante up with their resources. Bunkhouse Stampede is a step backwards, and uh, from there, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think that Starcade 87 is a, like, a more polished, understandable product with solid wrestling that I appreciate. I think Bunkhouse Stampede is... A decently, a more decently shot show, a better shot show that was a product of its terrible circumstance, which I assume is people bouncing out or uh, them not being as prepared as they should or wanted to be. And maybe 87 was just like lightning in a bottle. I don't know. Because I think 87 was good. You can like it. It's fine. Best performer of the night. I'm giving it to Jim Cornette because he was the most entertaining thing in that Koloff match. Ah, you're not going to fuck Koloff? And maybe second place Barry Windham because that was my favorite match of the night was the Windham-Zabisco match. Uh, I I like Windham. I I honestly like Zabisco. I think Zabisco is a very good heel. I think so too. I agree completely. Uh, Most surprising. 
that it wasn't is very good considering I really like the last show. I guess that's it. Uh, I like Road Warrior Ric Flair. I like Hawk Ric Flair. You don't I, like Hawk? I, I didn't like the finish at all. Really? Yeah. I fucking I also really like fucking Garvin like, Ric Flair. And you didn't like Garvin Ric Flair, and I liked it a lot. I was legitimately. I thought it was okay. I, it was okay, I legitimately I was excited about it. Was it was just like uh, Garvin didn't do anything for me. I like I liked probably Hawk. Flair better than Garvin Flair. I like both of those matches. A lot. And I hated the finish of of Hawk Flair. Yeah. I had I was talking mad shit on NWA for quite a while now, and now I'm and now I'm and now I'm and and now I am turning a corner. And I guess you're not. But I think that you were more high on the other shows than I was. I think so. Which is weird, and that's why we do this. And now for a look back even farther into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. The Goldust Trio had made audiences believe any challenger could defeat the champion. The way they did this was allowing the challenger to get some offense in during a match. But this presented a significant risk, as it gave the challenger the chance to go into business for themselves. It was crucial to have the title on a talented grappler such as Ed Lewis. If things began to go south in the ring, he could turn the match into a legitimate contest, a shoot. And on occasion, when Lewis couldn't con- get control, James Tootsmont was at ringside, ready to put people in their place. It's fucked up, man. Next week, Royal Rumble 1988. I know. The You're- inaugural Royal Rumble. So this is network style? It's a network special. They just put it on there? They put it in the pay-per-view section, so I'm like, let's do it. Let's go for it. I know you are a Royal Woman. I love the Royal Rumble. And the thing is, though, they didn't have the stipulation in this one where if you won, you got to go to WrestleMania. So it's literally just a... Yeah, it's bragging rights. It's just a show. Yeah, put you up the card. If we want to, we don't have to. Exactly. So the music from this week's show, we got the Bunkhouse Stampede theme. How does that go? Uh, you heard it at the beginning of the show. Did we? You did. <laughs> Dusty won the Bunkhouse Stampede, so we're going to hear a little You Can't Judge a Book by Its Cover uh, by Hank Williams and Huey Lewis. What a fucking great song for him to come out to. Unfortunately, we don't get it. JR actually even says that line yeah, and we still during don't, the match. And we still don't get it. Uh, I like the, uh, there's a, in, uh, in that Stampede match, there's a guy with, like, a giant yellow and black sign that's, cause, like, he, we didn't even talk about this, but he's wearing the yellow and black, which is, like, pre-polka dot. Mm-hmm. But there's a guy with a yellow, he had, like, he was wearing a yellow shirt and jeans. Well, he had yellow shirt and jeans, but he had a black hat on to start. It was, like, backwards or whatever. But some guy has a yellow and black sign, and it says, funky like a monkey on it. I'm like, hell yeah. But there's like no promos on the show. More dusty promos all the time. Not enough of them on important shows. So, rate and review us. Go and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Give us those five-star ratings. Get us up in the analytics so more people can find us. So more people can join the conversation. You can always email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoryX, that's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week.